Welcome to Painter Bright Quarterly Slush Pile. The mission of this show is to show you our democratic auditorial process because uh, we do take a while to get back to our um, the people who submit to us. But you'll see why in another few minutes we we care, right? And the we in question uh, will start with me because that's how I am. I'm Kathleen Volkmiller, and here I am in the studio in Corman, and um, I'm an essayist and co-editor of the Painter Bride Quarterly. And I am so excited because today is a very, very special day because right here on my left, close enough to tickle, is BJ Ward. Hello, it's good to be here. Uh, yep, BJ Ward. Um, I'm the author of most recently Jack Leg Opera. Uh, I'm a poet who works in New Jersey and at uh, Warren County Community College. Proud to be part of the faculty there. Awesome. Awesome. And then around the table here in Philly, we have Tim Fitz. Hi, I'm Tim Fitz. I'm uh, the author of two short story collections and I have a couple of new flash fiction pieces in the Adirondack Review, Fugue, and another piece forthcoming in Fiction Southeast. So we'll put links up to those. Yes, we will. And we all say will and uh, we will. And then we all look at Ali. Hello, Ali. Hello. Uh, <laughs> I am here as well. Ali Ziavash Tavari, uh, Kathleen's co-op here at Drexel University. I am happy to be here in this lovely morning. It's actually very nice out today. It's beautiful compared today. to yesterday. It was raining yeah, so hard. Yeah, we've been under deluge. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Marion, you're our only remote person today. I love that you're around the table and around the world. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Marion. I am the co-editor of Painted Bright Quarterly with Kathleen for the last, oh, I don't know, few decades. Um, I, I wish I could tell you that I've had something published recently, but I haven't because I've been working on the draft of a novel and I've been inventing a university out here in the desert. I work for NYU Abu Dhabi and I've helps to build the writing program out here. So um, all all kinds of inventions for writing and creative writers in the 21st century. So, (laughs) But that's certainly not nothing. All I've been doing is building a university out in the desert. (laughs) Doesn't it sound like bricks and mortar? I'm actually like, I've got earth earth movers and like a labor force, you know, that's how it goes. In the midst of (laughs) sandstorms is when I sit down and write my novel. (laughs) <laughs> like I'm, you do. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear you speak of your novel. That makes me really, Yay. really excited. Later on, if, if the moment mm. arises, I might talk to you all about CBD oil and what it's mm. doing for me and my writing. <gasps> and then also, I can't wait to hear that. So I might speak about flea killing solution because mm. oh. you will understand how they are related. But what I also want to say is I'm so glad you're talking about your novel. Right? Thank you. And Thank you. I'm yeah. um, equally glad that we've only talked to BJ about being on the podcast since its inception. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm so glad that um, he's finally here. And um, and now I'm going to bounce it right back at him, put you on the spot for just a second. Is there any way you feel like reading a poem, BJ? Yay! Say yeah. yes, say yes, say yeah. yes. Yeah, sure. All right. Sure. This is why we asked him, because we knew he would just be amenable and do whatever we tell him to do. So um, <laughs> we have for us today two poems by one uh, poet whose name is James Arthur. Mm-hmm. And I think um, BJ is ready to start things off and read the poem study. But Tim Kathleen, is interrupting us. Yes. You mentioned that 
that we can tell him to do anything. And I was Uh-oh. wondering if this might be the week that we could have Ali fight one of the guests. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, we don't. Are you, do you know anything about MMA? Because sure. we could clear the furniture out. <laughs> Easily. There's not much. Yeah. Scoot the table back. I don't think Are you our, ready? I don't think our insurance covers this, Tim. Okay. Oh. Just wanted to throw it out there. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Well, so Hi. instead of that, maybe you'll read a poem. I don't. If I you're am not so fight homesick. Ollie. You have no oh, idea how homesick this this the threat <laughs> of battle is making me. Anyway, BJ, please read the poem. Okay. <laughs> Take it off the help. So this is by James Arthur. Study. No beast of theory, nor mere poet's creature roaming the brain, savanna, eating words. No. This is a real giraffe, an American giraffe, at the zoo. Two kids stare, its hoof pecks the ground. Like the heel of a walking stick, it slow steps around the yard, a living crane whisking its tail. It shifts and leans, eating the leaves, hoisting its precarious head before sailing past the gate, eyeing the trucks, what is going on in its mind. Thank you. Beautiful reading. How about that? No prep, no prep, and he nailed that poem. Damn. (laughs) Well, thank you. All right, there are some pesky line breaks in this and some enjambment that... um, makes the reading challenging. So BJ, what was that like? Did you, did you find it easy to read? Was it, was it fun to read? What was that like for you? You know, it's, it's the, the construction of this poem reminds me in some weird way of that E. Cummings poem, Grasshopper, where Mm. you, you kind of work your way down and it's this nonsensical Mm. enjambment, uh, this enjambment that, that kind of subverts the expectation until it crystallizes in, in the final line where Cummings actually writes grasshopper. But before that, there are all these variations of, of those. And, you know, I think he wrote that, I don't know, 1930s, maybe 1940s. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was he was playing with that idea of of modernism. And, OK, so everything that we thought was solid isn't solid and all that. And here we are in 2018 with this James Arthur poem. And he's kind of. I think trying to pick up on that sense of aesthetic mm-hmm. that Cummings mm-hmm. embodied in that in that poem, where why make these strange enjambments, right? Why mm-hmm. make this kind of giraffe crystallize before us once we work through the strange silences at the end? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's challenging that way, and and I suppose it's somewhat rewarding when you when it comes together and you realize what the syntax is doing. And how the syntax doesn't necessarily line up with the with the lineation or where he chooses to break each line. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So, readers, our listeners, you can read this poem on our pages, um, so you can see exactly what it is we're talking about. The poem is long mm-hmm. and skinny with odd line breaks. Um, I liked the surprise of of the ordinariness. Right, of a giraffe at an American zoo 
and it and it sort of made me realize the extraordinariness of that at the same time. Yeah, it is, it's been right? weird, right? Having ha- having that animal like just a majestic long neck beast. It's an ordinary creature, but at the same time, it's so strange and exotic. Yeah, this is what we do mm. that we ship animals around so that we can look at them. Yeah, right. Mm. It's a weird thing you it really think thing. about a zoo. Okay, listeners, this is the moment when we're all really looking at the poem. Yeah, and this is not us not tuned talking. out at all. <laughs> right? you're, you're, this is, there's this is nothing the sound wrong with your phone or whatever. Concentration. Because <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I love, I mean, it's so true. It's like by studying the draft, it's calling into focus the strangeness of the zoo as a structure and a project right like that it's it's meant to showcase the exotic right but yeah. the the way the study's working too is to say by paying careful attention to the like this majestic creature as ali put it there's it's it also then shifts into a kind of empathy right of yeah you know what what is what is this animal thinking not as it stares at me but as it listens to trucks in the distance so it too is distracted right like there's a there's a bizarre and lovely cacophony there. Mm-hmm. So like, I love that stuff that's happening in the poem, but I'm actually, I'm, I'm kind of drawn back to what BJ was saying about the enjambment, um, and the, like the, the play and the potential chaos with those line breaks. And I actually want more weirdness, right? So when I'm looking at the tail end of the poem, pardon the pun on this, right? After the, it's like, you know, sort of like whisking its tail, Right. Um, the head before, like the precarious head before sailing line break past the gate, eyeing the, and the, the sits there like a kind of clunk, right? The line break trucks, what is going line break on it in its mind. Like I almost want more play and risk in the line breaks or the enjambment there. Um, you know, it's, it's so interesting how you're saying that. Marion, because, um, you know, I, I know, I don't know James Arthur that well. He's an acquaintance. Mm-hmm. We've met a couple of times. Mm. Oh, um, yeah? and, but, okay, and, but then you got to leave the room. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> he's a, he has a, a terrific book called Charms Against Lightning. But it, the, part of that mm. book has this inward energy, this kind of mirror that he holds up to himself. Mm. And um, mm. and we, we have this strange structure. I mean, it, the, the poem is frameworked with no beast of theory. And then what is going on in its mind? So right, they have right. this this kind of symmetry, and I I it's so interesting to consider what is happening in the poem. Is it just what the words are doing, or is it really a poetry of arrangement? And mm-hmm. I think you know <laughs> what one of the things that I one of the issues that I have pause that gives me pause when I run to a poem that isn't necessarily trying to include the reader as much as some other poems do um, is, you know, how much is this just playing around as opposed to the the real hard work of bringing an outside audience into your Mm. own inner space. And I think there's Mm -hmm. some poems that are very successful at at doing that, at playing around Mm -hmm. while including the external reader. But, you know, if we look at this framework and just look at the energy, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like the poem is zooming in 
to this giraffe's mind. So I want to I just want to experiment with it for a moment and zoom out. I'm going to actually start with the last line and just try to deconstruct it and see where the energy is. And I think it also kind of makes sense in that cinematic way. So if we just look at that, that the first two words, of the last line on in, right on in its mind trucks what is going past the gate, eyeing the head before sailing, hoisting its precarious and leans eating the leaves its tail, it shifts, crane whisking around the yard, a living stick. It slow steps like the heel of a walking, the ground. Two kids stare its hoof, pecks giraffe at the zoo. Giraffe, an American, this is a real savanna. Eating words, no roaming, the brain's nor mere poet's creature, no beast of theory, study. Wow. Stop it. What, what did you just do to my brain? EJ Ward, what? <laughs> I got arm hairs. <laughs> you know, the, the more I'm around poems, I'm really interested in how, wow. you know, they shape silences, right? When I mean, mm. I knew both Kathleen and Marion 20 years ago. When I was given bar readings, and you know, and I was really interested in the applause and all that. But it, you know, as I as I live with poems more, I'm really Ain't interested no in the that. shaping of. No, there's nothing wrong with that. I still do that once in a while. I'm doing that Friday night at the Stanhope House in Jersey, a blues bar. But the um, but I'm really interested in how silences are shaped, and if if we kind of divorce our no, the idea of poems are words as opposed to the silences shaped by the words, then that kind of thing of deconstructing how the silence is made becomes instructive to me as someone understanding craft. If that makes sense at all. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I, I like that cinematic zooming out, you mm -hmm. know, if you were to approach his poem's energy backwards. Right. I can't wait till James hears this episode and then flips the whole poem and calls it study. <laughs> James is a right. James is a pretty smart guy. You know, he's he's playing around with a lot of stuff here. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I, what I wanted to say is so much stupider than what BJ just did, but I still can't help myself because I'm that. That's who I am. I was thinking about the thought itself, that last thought, what's going on in the draft's mind is yeah. not profound at all. Like that, that is a thought that even little kids have, right? They go, what is that gorilla thinking? Does it think it's in, you know, right? And they feel, you, you feel really bad at these trapped animals. And it was making me think maybe was that why it's called study? And was that why we make the syntax complex since the thought, the, the reward, if we read it directly, is not really a profundity? It, it's not a smart thought that the, uh, that the giraffe is thinking. But what it is, is when you're six and you see this giraffe and you're looking at the, just looking at how it's walking and, it, and all its strangeness, once you get up to the giraffe's brain, it's like it flashes right back into your brain and suddenly you start, it's like a portal or a trigger to some kind of existential moment. That's mm -hmm. when you're thinking, why do I move like this? And then you suddenly you're 
confronted with your own strangeness. Mm-hmm. And you have to <laughs> self-reflect because people are strange. Right. And you have those moments when you're six. I was talking to my kids about that the other day when they're walking around suddenly like, Dad, how'd I get here? And I'm like, nice. That's great. <laughs> I love that. I can remember about 10 of them when I was a kid when I got – something flashes you into it. It's one of these moments. Mm-hmm. When yeah, you're, I, think you're, I think you're on to something there, too. I yeah. mean, if you look at that, the title – that going into the first four lines or so, it, I think James is essentially saying exactly what you're saying. Like, mm-hmm. you know, study no beast of theory, nor mere poet's creature roaming the brain, savannah eating words. No, this is real. Right? Yeah. I remember when you're six, as you would say, and yeah. you're looking at that giraffe. And yeah. this poem almost has the effect of a smell to it. And usually you don't do that when, mm. when you read things. When you smell something and it puts you right back in the day oh, when you first smell yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you read the way the graphs walk and it pops you right back mm-hmm. to the Birmingham Zoo in 1977 mm-hmm. or wherever your zoo was when you were <laughs> um, But that doesn't usually happen when you're reading something. Mm-hmm. It doesn't trigger the same way. It's like it's almost uh, jumps some sort of track, some sort of neurological track. It goes from like vision to smell or something Right, in the way in that, that it unlocks funky something. Funky space, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ali, you looked. I had a comedic moment, but it's past. Oh. It's past. Damn. You were going to fight BJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if we're making, not that we need to make sense of this poem in that way, but I think that's why the kids make an appearance, right? The kids stare at its hoof. Right. That that kind of makes sense, too, that the kids are our portal into our own first thoughts of first seeing animals at a zoo. Listen to that sound. And that makes me think that's a sign from Marion. You're not abducted, are you? Are you there? Holy shit, that was her rapture sound. There's a sound associated with it now. Now there's a sound. At least we have a clue. <laughs> Marion was just freaking raptured. It's the sound of alien Son abduction. of a gun. I, we never got a sound with it before. If Marion was just raptured, that is bad news for us. Why? Because <laughs> she's gone. Rapture. Oh, that we're here. <laughs> I was only sad that she was gone. I forgot that means yeah, today I'm is not here. not a good day. The weather just got worse. Let's. I think that what that maybe we should vote without her and hope that she comes back and she can throw her vote in. So what normally happens to whoever is remote, text it to Joe. But those of us in the room do the same thing we do at a meeting, which um, I hope our listeners agree that it sounds like it's callous to go one, two, three, shoot, thumbs up, thumbs down. But after you've had the kind of discussion we've had, I hope it doesn't seem as so cold, right, to be random and playing one, two, three, shoot over here. But that's what we're going to do. Are we ready? Okay, you've got it. No middle. You're up or you're down. All right, here we go. One, two, three, vote. Well. I voted twice because (laughs) I wanted to go in. Are you sure you want to admit that? I wanted to go in both forwards and backwards. Oh. (laughs) Marion? Hello. Guess what, darling? 
<laughs> what, darling? It was the first time that your rapture was accompanied by a little fairy wand. <laughs> there was this like, <laughs> and I went, Mary, and you haven't been raptured, have you? Like, I'm joking, and you weren't there. <laughs> and now when you came back, a doorbell rang. So, I always hear the doorbell uh, on my side. So uh, we, we never have heard the doorbell. I mean, we hear the doorbell in the beginning of the day, but not when you come back after a rapture. Yeah. Anyway, so I am thrilled yes. to tell you that we just voted without you. And no matter what you vote, the poem's in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you should know that I was Facebook messaging you going, I've been raptured, but I'm yes. <laughs> Uh, well, good. Oh, then it all good. worked out. What was so it like up there? Nice. How were things? It, I don't know. My boobs are hard. It's nice up here in heaven. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't know Who what to say. Who knew that that's a permanent part of heaven? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'll go with it. Is she still in the Watch out. It's part, it's part of that Eric Clapton song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when your boobs are hard in heaven. A perfect <laughs> segue into on a marble, a marble portrait bust. That's our next poem. That is. You're welcome. That was for you. Uh, <laughs> Mary and my darling, do you feel like you might get raptured again? Is there I'm, any way I'm afraid. I'm afraid that, you know, since I was, you know, raptured a moment ago, I might be raptured again. So okay. I don't think I'd be doing Worcester a favor if I read it. So I've I for somebody read, in the room. I'm going to safely put on my glasses so that I don't suddenly have a vision blur because I'm having contact issues again, as Ollie warned oh. me that I would. So we're not going to talk about that. Okay. Okay. But we're just going to put on these glasses so that I can read it in safety. And are we ready? <laughs> they make me talk like um, this. When my theory. glasses are on, I feel like. Okay. All right. Here we go. I'm not going to do that through the phone. That would be rude, James Arthur. Okay. On a marble portrait bust in Worcester, Massachusetts. Someone with a careful hand carved your center parted hair, which frames your forehead like a proscenium and tumbles into ringlets in front of either ear. But we don't know the sculptor's name or whose face you represent, only that you were found in the basement of a Spanish drugstore in New York. Classical in your proportions, with a long, narrow nose, you look out, pupilless, from your three-quarter pose, smiling as if to imply that all questions of form are superfluous and absurd. How fitting that in your case the medium was subtracted, not applied to a canvas or built up word by word. Compact like a star, with one long braid bound behind your head, cold like a gun. More absolutely pale than any bone or shell, and your strict hard surface sparkles in the sun. Okie dokie. So there's beautiful that. reading, Kathleen. Thank you, Marion. Mm -hmm. And we're thinking, these are thinking. 
We are. So and, and first thoughts, immediate thoughts. I'm really impressed with the sustained close reading of this sculpture, right? There's something so um, dedicated about the, um, like the close uh, curiosity, right? Of the speaker, like just looking at the way this art object is created, right? And then that, that feels like the faithfulness in the poem, right? Um, sort of a rich description and celebration of the piece. You know, explain this to me, Mary, and I know that you can. Yeah. I, I appreciate more the moments when I step away from the sculpture. Like the, mm-hmm. I, the, the detail, I'm interested in the basement of a Spanish drugstore in New York. And I'm mm-hmm. interested in um, cold like a gun. Mm-hmm. And I think um, um, I also my interest was piqued for a moment thinking about what sculpture is a taking away rather than a building up. You know, mm-hmm. certainly I've thought of that before. That was a nice little reminder of that, the idea of that in sculpture. But but exactly what you're talking about. The poet paying attention to the sculpture itself mm-hmm. is less interesting to me than the moments my brain can step away from it for a second. Well, okay. So here's the thing I want to like throw on the table too. I love ekphrastic poetry. I love when a poem takes on an art object and then thinks with it Mm -hmm. some way. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's something about this poem that sort of pulls its punches a little bit and doesn't think it the whole way through, like really resides Mm -hmm. in description and not any kind of epiphanic, you know, seeing yourself, seeing the thing in order to have some big idea about what it means to see a thing. You know, I think, right? I think you, you're onto something there, big, um, Marion. You know, it's so hard not to consider some of the other great ekphrastic poems based on sculpture. Right. I mean, the one that comes to, I think, well, to my mind, I'm sure a lot of people's minds are, um, is Rilke's uh, archaic torso of Apollo. Which ends after that description, right, uh, ends with that great epiphany, uh, you must change your life, right? Right. There's no way that does not see you. You must change your life. And that's the turn of the poem right there in Mm -hmm. Rilke. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sensing that turn here. Um, And yet, and yet, the poem also has some other kinds of pleasures for me. I, I like how James Arthur is kind of propelled through the poem through phonics like he's he's working mm-hmm. in and out of these loose rhymes you know in the first stanza it's hair and ear but by the third mm-hmm. stanza he's he's really hitting some sounds that um i think are subtly done unless you i didn't pick them up the first time it was read and then when i read it again i you know, I say, wow, that sound relates to this other thing. So I'm thinking of how nose starts the sound in superfluous, but there's also pupilless, and which kind of is with your case and nose with canvas um, in the third stanza. And then the, the last stanza, we have gun and then that sound mm-hmm. of bone and then the exact rhyme of sun. You know, so yep. he's, he's working these sounds that, that are pleasurable. Yep. I don't know if it's enough to pull the poem off, but I think it's a strength of the poem that that should be mentioned. Um, But I do wish that there were 
as you called it, uh, an epiphanous moment or a turn where he, he leaves the triggering subject and finds the discovered subject of the poem. Right. Okay. So I'm so glad you pointed out the phonics here because it, it's delightful, right? Like go back to the third stanza, right? Where it's proportions and then narrow nose, right? And proportions then gets picked up with pupil less in the third line mm-hmm. and pose, right? So right. proportions, nose, pupil is pose is brilliant within right. like a three line space. The mm-hmm. way those sounds sort of tumble and um, are like controlled simultaneously is just glorious. And I, I, you know, I use the word epiphany. Maybe that's the wrong way to frame it too. It's, I think the thing that I'm craving is like that moment of looking back, right. Or the, like you're confronting the art object in order to confront something that is in the act of confrontation. So it's in the self or it's in an aware, like some kind of awareness maybe it's an epiphany, but it's, it's, it's that turn or it's that delivery of, um, an abstraction. Um, but you know, and, and the reason I'm sort of like hemming and hawing here too, cause like, I don't want to be insisting on policy right? <laughs> around ekphrastic poetry. Like there has to be a turn, but it just feels like there's a, he's, he's pulling his punches. Like he's holding something in reserve here. And it's hard for me to know what that is. One of my favorite uh, composers in the 20th century uh, is this guy named Vladimir Usachevsky, who mm. owned the first magnetic tape machine after World mm. War II. And one of the first things he did was he started, he recorded things at normal speed and then played them back at half speed or double speed or backwards. And what I like about both of the poems, I'm going to connect the last one to this one too, is, is this slow motion slow panning of the image where it just comes out and just keeps stretching out and then you're shifting your perception. And I guess I don't, I know there's no real epiphanic moment to this poem, but I love the journey from the beginning to the end. Yusuchetsky would make these sounds with a piano where instead of going ding, it would go and just make the strange, eerie, <laughs> beautiful sound that you couldn't really put your finger on it. And I really don't want to be told what to think at the end of this poem. Right. I love the sound right. of it. And right. it's 2018. I'm tired of people telling me what to think. I want to just have yeah. an image that lets me meditate on something. And so this, yeah. So there are some... There isn't the same punch as the other poem had, but I love mm-hmm. where I am when I'm reading it, you know? Mm-hmm. Hey, Tim, what was that sound? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started on the sound. I can do those all day long. I want <laughs> Joe, I wanted Joe to play us out with the Eric Clapton song, but now maybe it should just be that noise. <laughs> Should that be the title of this episode? (laughs) No. (laughs) We don't know how to spell that. Google it. (laughs) Well, do you have anything to say, Holly, at all? I mean, I really like, um, I think I'm more with you, Kathleen, where I like the image. I think I'm more in love with, like, 
the thought of who this person was, and I feel like I, I don't get enough of that. At least for me, mm-hmm. um, I, that was what was bringing me in. Like the thought of this, the, the person that's so important to make an honorary bust of them, but forgotten in time. Yeah, it, it just it's interesting. Well, the idea of that explored mm-hmm. more. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you mean who the person was uh-huh, that the yeah. bust is depicting? I thought you meant who the person is the narrator, like when they uh-huh. approach. Both, both the are bust. kind of interesting. Right. That's fascinating, in BJ. Right. Yeah, maybe that's why. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not hooked in. I'll, yep. just, I'll just say it. And I think it's because I don't know anybody here. Yeah. I don't know the speaker. Um, I don't know the artist. I don't know the bust. I think that's and maybe I'm um, um, that, you know, simple that I need some some way to have some kind of I'm not feeling anyone. The only doorway we, that I get mm-hmm. in this poem, maybe you all see something that I'm not seeing, is um, into the narrator's personality is this really interesting simile told like a gun, mm. right? Yeah. Now, it takes a certain kind of speaker to come up with that analogy. To yeah. put those two together. To put those two together. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't get much more than that, but that's a really interesting facet of the poem Yeah, that I wish there were more moments like that. Right. For me. Is a gun, yeah. do we have enough familiarity with a gun that I would ever use it as a simile? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't yeah. think so. I don't think I would ever yeah. say called like a gun. But, you know, what about this one? Compact like a star. That gave me pause as well because I don't think of stars as compact. They may well be. I know nothing of a star's composition. But are are they like a piece of stone that hard, like a sculpt like a marble? I think it's I, just that the density is yeah. just very are, dense. they are as dense yeah. as marble. Oh. See I don't know that. Yeah. So that was another simile that made me go Compact like a star. Oh, our stars compact. Like started having this, mm-hmm. just you know that distracted. Like, you know, I always tell my students, you want your you want your people to stay on the page, not ever lift your head up and go what. And I think that was another like it lifted my head up. You know. But I will say that I don't lift my head up on that first stanza. The first simile is. Um, your center parted hair, which frames your head like a proscenium. And that simile is a, is a lovely revelation. I'm like, oh yeah, I can totally see that. Mm-hmm. I can absolutely see a hairstyle. It turns the forehead into a stage, right? Like, and now, and now the face is the, is the spectacle to be witnessed. Right. Yeah. And that, what a, what a great like occasion or setup, right. For the rest of the description that, mm-hmm. that follows. Mm-hmm. I thought that was super cool. But then we don't know anything, right? Like we don't know the sculptor's name. We don't know who you are. <laughs> we got we got nothing except for where. So what can we what can we do but describe you? Because the rest is like hypothesis and bullshit. So maybe that's the argument that description really is all you get. Right, right. And that's exactly what I'm saying. Is just like, and for right. me, that doesn't compel me enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's how yeah. you led this whole conversation about what ecrastic poetry is supposed to do, or you know, sh- yes, this is absolutely or can, can a description do, right? of can. a sculpture. Yeah. Right. I, I think right. Kim made a good point too before about it's 2018, so we can't hold it necessarily the same standards as in days past. But what is it doing here for us as 2018 right. readers? That's intriguing, mm-hmm. that's invigorating, that, that right. we feel at least slightly changed by this encounter with art. Right. Yeah. I just want to know how it got into the drugstore. That's you know. that's cool, too. That's what I mean. I'm more interested in things about mm-hmm. it, around it, than the sculpture itself. How did it end up in a Spanish drugstore in New York? 
And what does a Spanish yeah. drugstore really mean? A bodega. Yeah. Drugstore? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. No. I mean, that's what isn't every drugstore also Spanish. A bodega is not a drugstore. Like, why Why do we have to have the adjective of Spanish? But, but I'm, I'm intrigued on the why, right? Mm-hmm. Where isn't there also stuff in Spanish and where aren't people speaking Spanish, right? I don't know why. I don't know. <laughs> every every drugstore is a Spanish drugstore is what I'm trying to say. Mm. <laughs> right, anymore, right? So it's it's just interesting though, like why that why that, that again is like I'm more interested in going off and staying in the drugstore and figuring it out and how this marble bust was discovered there. I guess my only real desire for this poem is to to know the name of the drugstore. I love it with concrete names of drugstores. I don't vague oh. names of stores get on my nerves a little bit. A Spanish drugstore. You could yeah, then you could say a Spanish drugstore. You could just say the name and that might take care of it. Yeah. But that's a little bit that's the one thing that kind of, because everything else is so specific, mm-hmm. the image, of the, and it's close up. And then mm-hmm. why get vague at that moment? Mm-hmm. Why do we have, or why that specificity? Why is it a Spanish drugstore? That's kind of what I'm saying. But, but it's still vague because then it right? brings up more questions. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 I think I am saying the same thing yeah. differently. As usual. <laughs> <laughs> um, kids. We still talk. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to vote? Well, I just want to say one last thing, which of is course. I spent like almost two days talking to undergraduates about the necessity of describing whatever sources they're using in a way that makes a reader who's like maybe not so familiar with them feel like they can see them. <laughs> and this does that nicely. But that's, you know, and it and I and I just wonder, is it enough? Right. And that's really what we're talking about. Like, is the rich, lush description, the capacity of language to deliver images, you know, Tim Fitz, radiant image, poetic style, right? Um, is it enough or is there something that, that we're craving more of that? And that, I don't, I just want to say that that's what I'm going to keep thinking about as we vote. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. Stay here this time, Mayor. I'm, I'm holding on, on. on to I'm something re- resisting the rapture. That's um, oops. <laughs> I can just picture you. What did you do? Knock your mic over? <laughs> Are you sitting at the desk in your window? I am. Oh, good. Then I can really picture you. Okay, here we go. One, okay. two, three, vote. Attention. Oh, it's in. It's in. Ooh, All right. James Archer, two for two. Very interesting. Nice. Nice. Um, do, do we have time to talk about CBD oil? Should we? CBD oil? Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. yeah. Great stuff, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let's, I think we should start with a disclaimer. Um, painted by Cordelian Drexel University advises you to see your doctor before you take any sort of and, anything and now, that we ever say we, <laughs> to do. And we will, and we will but, simply describe and not endorse CBD oil. Yes. Describe. Yes. Well, um, I'm going to start since I started it. So, um, and I think I can say this because he said it on his podcast. You know, the uh, Brad Listy podcast, Other People. Anybody out there listening to that? You might be. If you're listening to this one, you might be listening to us. So um, he's out in L.A. Mayor, he was uh, real involved when we did the literary death match in L.A. 
Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. And he did a lot of um, advertising for it and stuff. So he interviews different authors and blah, blah, blah. The other day that he said he likes to get really, really baked and then drink a lot of coffee and that this helps his creative process. And <laughs> um, and the author that he had on uh, was in agreement that this was also the way this author liked to work. So I may or may not have tried that. We'll leave that out in the air. But I can talk to you about taking a lot of CBD oil and doing the same thing and having um, I've, I've had three experiences with this right now where I have the best flow, really wonderful flow, typing with determination, like, mm. you know, like not not being able to type fast enough. I um, wrote about something that I've been wanting to write about for more than a year, Marion, and I was with you when I had an epiphany about needing to write about this, um, which I'm not going to talk about that. But anyway, it was really awesome. And this is going to sound like the most Virginia Woolf angel in the house moment anybody has ever mm. heard me say. But the thing that really worked for me was that I didn't feel guilty that I was writing. Like nice. all, of, <laughs> all nice. of the other work, like I'm constantly thinking, but I have these papers to grade and I have this to, yeah. this yeah. to do and that to do and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And um, there was none of that whatsoever. And I just fully owned. Um, and I'm not even talking about a lot of time, people like, you mm -hmm. know, an hour and a half of mm -hmm. solid focused writing. For me, that's kind of miraculous. You know, it's very difficult for me. So I just thought that I would share that with our listeners because CBD oil is legal. You can get it at your health food store. Wait a minute. I can't get that here. No. Maybe. I? Have you looked? What? One wonders. <laughs> question, <laughs> question mark. <laughs> well, you know what? We might even follow that up on the show notes, whether or not Mary can get that in Abu Dhabi. Um, right. See if you can. It is at the regular health food store for us. Okay. And, okay. Um, and, and Jersey and PA, and you just walk in and there it is. Not in PA. No, no it's not legal in Abu Dhabi. Oh, it's not. Oh, Johnny looked at us states. for us. There's some states yeah. that it's not legal in America, too. All right, yeah, wait. Yeah, yeah, Texas. But look at Texas. Can Did we, you see what happened last okay. night? Okay. So Samantha Nierbauer can't be here tonight. She swore that over the winter break, she was going to do her best to get to Philly and we would do or try to do a podcast in Philly. Yeah, yeah. Could, could we do what you have said? Could we oh. CBD oil ourselves for a podcast? Well, yes, we certainly okay. could. <laughs> <laughs> Why couldn't we? I think that might be a fun experiment. That might be a fun experiment. So you're interested in how it how it would make us talk with one another rather than write. We could do both things. We'll we'll load Let's up. Let's do both things. We'll so, load up right, and we'll podcast. PJ, are you in? We're gonna do like a writing retreat, a CBD oil inspired writing retreat, and then we'll do a podcast. Have you tried it yet? Uh, what does CBD stand for? Thank you. I was afraid to ask. <laughs> cannabis something something. So it, it you're taking your it's a cannabis oil without the THC. So there is absolutely no um stoned fog at all. But you get your shoulders come down several notches. For me, it feels like I've had a little bit of a massage. My my shoulders <laughs> come down and the top of my skull is loosened in a very nice way. Instead of feeling like this, you're just a little like this, right? Oh, you can't see. I'm, I'm clenching and I'm unclenching. And does it have the same effect on you, Ollie? Um, I mean, 
I really don't use CBD oil that often. However, <laughs> you just gave it a ringing endorsement. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I, he might have been endorsing the whole package. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I won't say uh, say or deny claim that that statement. But regardless of that, it, there's a great um, documentary that was on. I think it's like 60 Minutes or something like that, called Charlotte's Web, uh, hmm. where oh. there was a there's that's a not a girl. documentary. <laughs> well, Charlotte's so. Web makes CBD. One of yeah, my very well, good oh, friends is buying it from Charlotte's Web. That's Charlotte's Web is a specific it. strand that that's was made a, for a little girl a who, who lives in Colorado now because she um, she had these oh. terrible seizures, um, and she wasn't able um. to control her seizures. And then you know they they tried all these uh, medicines. The gay was killing her. These antibiotics and stuff like that they're giving her should have got raptured again. She went to Colorado. <laughs> And they started giving her one drop of CBD oil under her tongue and completely halted the seizure. She's living a normal life. Hmm. So if that's well, not tested, I, for wonder, it, I don't know what it is. Then you know what? I'm going to have to mention this to my, a friend of mine is is buying from that line. Look mm. at how many things we have to put in our notes. <laughs> wonder, wonder Charlotte's Web will send us any for our experiment in December slash January. <laughs> um, so yeah, so like if, when you try it and when you try that, get really baked and drink a lot of caffeine. It may or may not. I don't can't really it might just feel you like you might end up feeling like a really stoned person getting a lot of work done <laughs> you know <laughs> that might be what it is the coffee and the pot i don't know i, I may have hurt you know maybe so tim i have turned tim on to cbd oil i will admit it i am eve I've to his adam it. i've been using it on a scar on the back of my hand and it oh. seems like it has lightened it <laughs> You're using it on your body, but aren't you also squirting it? Yeah. Should we all squirt some on yeah, there? You know what? You know what? Uh, um, <laughs> I really don't I, understand I like, that. For I like to, um, what? <laughs> I, I noticed. I've noticed that it makes me really tired in the afternoon, so I'm trying just mm. to use it at night. Interesting. So, are you using the milligrams I gave you? I, I'm doing two two squirts. Using a liquid like this? She's yeah. using exactly this. Okay, so this is only one milligram. Yeah, it's not much. It's this does not put me to sleep. This does the reverse. It wakes me up. Okay. But if, I take, if I take 15 to 20 <laughs> milligrams, then I sleep very well. Mm. I have uh, my, our listeners know, if you're real loyal, I talk about my bitch about my sleep problems all the time. And I recommend different podcasts to help us sleep. But um, yeah, if I, if I take like 30 or 15 it helps me go to sleep. The little one hitters actually give me a little bit of a bounce. Mm. Yeah. And I actually called this manufacturer and um, spoke with a really nice person there and um, told her that I had hoped it would help me sleep, but it's making me feel lively. And she said that it's like crazy that everybody really does have their own reactions. You know, you got to find if your... If you're using a liquid, Tim, you should try to get like a topical cream for that. Okay. It, it'll, it'll work yeah. better. Okay. Yeah, that's true. You should get something that's made to do topically. So what I'm, what I'm gesturing around about is a bottle and it's squirt. The squirt we're talking about, Mara, it's an oil. And you squirt it, but it doesn't really squirt because it's an oil, so it kind of plops. You know? <laughs> but you get a drop and you hold it under your tongue for a little bit and then you swallow it. So it's made to be done 
uh, taken orally. So, Tim, they do make topical okay. creams. Mm-hmm. Now, if we only had an intern who could call some of these companies to see about getting samples. <laughs> well, I think we put up this podcast right away. And we um, recommend both... Um, where are my glasses? What's the brand on this? Oh, we don't say any brands yet. Oh, oh, that's true. No brands, oh, no brands. Right? Well, I, but I just gave Charlotte's Web all kinds of free. I mean, that's that's different. <laughs> that, that little girl was having seizures. Yeah, know, yeah, but, the, the, be, but we should make sure that the company didn't like if, steal if we only, any. If, Do you want to try? If we only had an intern who understood anybody? the legality of mentioning names on the air. Mm. If only we had what? I'm being sarcastic. I think that we're allowed to talk about it for not being nasty about it. Yeah. You're right? Allowed, you're allowed to say anything you want. You're allowed to say anything you want. We you're are speech. allowed to say anything we want. This is America. It is it? Is it? <laughs> we did take back the house last night, Mayor. I'm sure you heard. Yes, I heard. And we. I voted and from I, afar. Take I, that. Take I that, America. The royal we. <laughs> take that, America. Glad you did it. <laughs> um. So, okay. So now since I took up all the time, I got to quickly tell you what happened. So what happened is my son adopted a cat. The cat had kittens. So at one point we had... Five, six, seven cats in the house. And uh, at one point they got fleas. So we went to the vet and the vet gave us this advice. And I'm now giving you this advice. But again, Painter Bright Quarterly recommends that you speak with your veterinarian before taking any of this advice. Our vet told us to buy the large dog flea liquid and then just open the vial, open it up port in a different vial and only take out as much as we need. And she actually gave us a syringe and a little vial um, to do all of this. So my son lost the vial by the time we were doing it the third time. So I had an empty bottle of CBD oil. Can you already see where this is going? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we poured the flea stuff into the CBD oil. So um, two days ago, I was, um, I squirted it in my mouth. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see where that was going? I thought it, I thought it was going in a different direction. <laughs> I thought it was going to go in a different direction. I thought you were going to say you invented the best flea. Oh, I wrote a novel and I, no, 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 no. I squirted flea killer. Into my mouth, oh, and it, no. it, wait, wait, and, and it gets even better. It does get better for just a second because no. I just went, bleh, what? Bleh. And my my mouth was like tingling. My entire mouth was just like, like, like had electrocuted my mouth. But I was just like, la la la, and I went on with my day. <laughs> I didn't really think again about it. I don't know why. When normally this tastes lovely, no. and it's it's no. a lovely, refreshing peppermint. So, but I guess I just had somewhere to go so those of you know you know me like I'm already I'm already doing the next thing so I just like went on to the next thing so the next day are you ready is everybody ready (laughs) I did it again I had enough presence of mind to go, this should not be happening. <laughs> and I spit it into the sink and I I, I was I was in my bathroom and I, I grabbed my toothbrush, I started brushing my teeth, and I was grabbing the mouthwash at the same time and still going, what the uh, what the uh, what the uh, right? And hey. and then I went, holy shit, because I realized what it was. 
Right. You know, it wasn't yeah. just bad CBD oil. This was food <laughs> killer. Poison. Poison. Control. Poison. Yeah. And I, I thought about calling poison control, but, you know, it's actually really wonderful that it all occurred the way it happened because <laughs> oh, <laughs> since, since I had already done it the day before swallowed it, went on with my day. I thought, okay, I'm not going to die because I'm mm-hmm. not dead yet. You right? I tried getting jacked on coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so those two, which I managed to spit out and brush out and mouthwash out and gargle out and everything I did to get it gone, was not as scary because I knew that I had survived the first time. So I highly recommend that nobody... Drink flea killing oil, but also, large dogs, if you Kathleen. do, if something <laughs> should happen that you do, you probably won't die. Probably, <laughs> probably. I mean, it was just a little. All right. sh- you know what? But everybody in the room can please keep your eye on her for the next like 24 hours oh so that she doesn't God. like curl up and Monday. fall over somewhere. It Monday. I'd surely be dead. I'm sure my body has processed. Right? Um, right? I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> I'm a I work Kathleen. in separate offices. He's going to keep coming around it today and just look at it. Just check. It's, like, it's like when you get a concussion, right? Like just keep checking on you. The only way to really know what the effects are. Kathleen is to keep using it. <laughs> go home. One squirt a day. Keep a log. Oh, oh you know, God. like, you know what would be funny, not funny is um, to like everything you said to, uh, <laughs> to talk to like a poison control center about the calls they get. Because like, what if I called them today and said two days ago, I squirted flea killer. <laughs> like if I was the person answering that phone, I would want to be able to say like, you're not dead yet. You know, like obviously you didn't take enough. Obviously it wasn't enough to kill me. That's what they should say on every call. <laughs> so? <laughs> well, you just if you're talking call. to me about it, <laughs> you're, you're probably okay. <laughs> So, yeah, so that happened. Oh, BJ, don't take any of that CD oil from anyone in that room. (laughs) No, well, I I think next slush pile, you all all ought to frontline yourselves and then talk about some (laughs) bumps. Well, I'm always pretty coffeed at these sessions. Well, you know what we really should do? Just okay, so we're just gonna keep on going backwards. We read the backwards poem, right? You read it backwards. Mm -hmm. It was so brilliant. Such an amazing move, BJ. But what if we recorded an episode really late at night where we're on wine? And only Marion and Samantha are on coffee. Because nice. like, we Just frequently yep. talk to our Abu Dhabi friends where they might have had a glass or two. So yeah. we could do it at like nine at night and it'll be there 8 a.m. Right. No, okay. you have to push it back. We it's 10 a.m. Your time is 7 a.m. My time. We could do that, though. 10 if you 10 guys were. PM? 10 p.m. your time. Well, we'll be able to be good and lit by 10 p.m. That's what, that's what. Yes. <laughs> Joe, can you open up the studio late at night for us? If we get you drunk? Oh, he said, oh, okay. Maybe if we get him drunk too. Maybe. Okay. We got a maybe. maybe. We're not saying anything on the record. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks. BJ Ward, thank you so much for putting up with us. Oh, thanks for having me here. BJ Ward. BJ Ward. Yay. And Joe Zhang on the on the on the board. Woo woo. Woo woo. And 
clearing out Nabi Dhabi and Ali and Tim right here with me. I think we need to hear that again. That's what um, CBD oil is, and that's a pronunciation. (laughs) (laughs) So now we know. All right. Um, So wait, can I just say before we wrap it up, I started the day at a research conference here on campus. Yeah. And listened to um, a scholar who's researching the camel races here in Abu Dhabi. And so they put little robots on the back of camels instead of people. And they race camels with these tiny little robots that are like managed from cars that race alongside the camels. So that's just get that in your head. And so this other scholar in the audience raised his hand and said, I just so happened to have this recording of um, the, the men who race camels in Saudi Arabia and they have a, a secret language that they yell and speak to their camels while they're in the car. <laughs> and he hits play. And it's this like shrieking, shouting, like half Arabic, I don't know what kind of language, like on super loud in this auditorium for like five minutes. It was pretty amazing. And what a great way to start the day when the end of the day is that voice saying, what? Canna who what? Cannabidiol. 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 It oddly sounds like what camel jockeys shout into their microphones to the to the robots on the back of camels. Cannabidiol. <laughs> sounds like something Pumbaa would have said to Simba. Right? Cannabidiol. James Arthur, please forgive us. James Arthur. And thank James you for Arthur. sending us your work and um and we'll be in contact soon. And our listeners, please <laughs> let us know how we're doing. You can be honest. We're honest with you. So you can be honest with us. <laughs> keep, keep reading, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.